Welcome to the Wake Up and Live show. I am so happy that you guys are here today. It is Chantel Simone here. I'm your mindologist here standing for three key things at the Wake Up and Live show, which is purpose, mind mastery, and truth. I am so excited to bring to you season three, and we are here sharing the power of perspective. Everybody has a perspective, and obviously in these times, there are a lot of key topics in the current events that's happening in our economy that has us questioning things, that has our mind going left and right, that has our emotions just completely you know, expressed, we are vulnerable, we are healing, we are connecting. There's so many effects that has caused us to think, to overcome, to fight, to pretty much feel every single emotion out there that is possible given all that is happening. Of course, we have the coronavirus as we are in a way reintegrating into life as well as the movement of black lives matters because of the numerous killings of innocent black men by the police and of course just re reopening businesses and reintegrating into society so today we are very happy to have season three with this which is the power of perspective and I, first of all i'm going to bring on my co-host i am very excited to be able to have a co-host this series and we're going to introduce him and the topic today so first of all please help me welcome mr lester bailey to the show as you guys know he was on yesterday as we talked about policing in the society and here he is again today to be able to unpack today's topic of mental health effects. Lester Bailey, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Ms. Chantel Simone. It is so good to be back with you co-hosting and seeing the power of perspective. I'm just enjoying this. This is, this is great for us to begin this conversation and I'm hoping all of you enjoy the conversation. Please, you know, start watch parties. And if you'd like, comment. Let us know what you're thinking, how we can assist you with it. So we want you to be interactive. We want you to be a great part of our show. Too. So thank you so very much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Happy to have you. And today we are also privileged by another young lady who is just on fire, on fire, on fire for the depth of knowledge of how we are able to overcome our mental challenges. She is a mental health expert and has been working in the field, both in her private practice and for an established company to be able to work with people one-on-one -on -one to shift them out of their challenges and really reintegrate back into society. So it is an absolute pleasure to have our very special guest here today. And every every Tuesday we will have her on and we'll talk all things mental health. And please help me welcome our special guest, Miss Nia Riddell. Thank you so much for being on the line, Nia. Thank you so much, Chantel, for having me. And Lester, thank you so guys so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to talk about mental health, especially during this uh, crucial time. Absolutely, absolutely. Mental health is really a huge, a huge, huge topic in society right now. And with all the things going on, I really want to take it the next step, Mia. I really want to really deep dive into what this means to people, especially in our own communities, because life is all about perception. 
and perception, the perception that we have out there. Yesterday we talked about the police and Lester and Ms. Mosley really talked about how we can reframe the perception of police because it's not all bad police out there. So today, now today I really want you to share a little bit about your background and we're hearing a little bit of static or echo on your line, it might be you, Mia. Can you just check to see that it's uh, all is plugged in okay? Ooh, that's much better. Perfect. Awesome. So please share a little bit about your background so people know who you are and where you come from. Sure. Um, sorry about that. I'm not sure about the, the static. But so my name is Nia Rigel. Um, As you stated, I um, am a licensed clinical therapist. I currently work um, at Kaiser Permanente um, in the psychiatric department. Um, in addition, I also have my own private practice um, where I specialize in supporting um, black and brown men through their transition uh, and through life and uh, supporting women leaders uh, in their transition um, into leadership. Um, I'm really passionate about mental health um, in the Black community, specifically supporting leaders. I am all about um, building a legacy of emotionally intelligent and, and mentally emotional stable leaders. So um, my area of expertise falls in alignment with faith-based faith and mindset um, experts. Awesome. I love it. I love it. So let's get right into it then today. So Nia, from what is the biggest challenge that you have seen in the past two months with your clients, with conversations around you, being a mental health expert? What's the biggest challenge that people are facing right now in these times? There's a there's a multitude of different uh, experiences that people are having. Um, the first one I want to highlight is post-secondary trauma. Um, and post-secondary trauma um, is trauma where you're not directly impacted by the occurrence, but because you're witnessing it or experiencing it, it experiencing it is just as, as detrimental as if you were the person who was experiencing a trauma physically. So we've seen a lot of that with the access recording and then too, um, the, the latest new challenge of um, when you see white people stepping on, kneeling on black people's neck, trying to uh, replicate the incident that happened um, with the gentleman that um, just passed away. And so we're seeing um, a lot of, you know, trauma. Right? Wait a minute. I just want to pause you right there. Did you say that there's people repli replicating the incident? Yeah, there is actually a, a George Floyd um challenge that uh, Caucasian people specifically have um, has went viral of them reenacting um, the officer kneeling on George Floyd's neck. Okay, Let's, yeah. as everybody just pause and take that in for a moment. So what is the, what is the, is it a mockery? Is it a, is it a movement? What, what is the genesis of people? So it's, it's white men reenacting the situation. Is there a point to it? I mean, the point is just like what you said, it's just mocking, you know, and really taunting uh, African-Americans during this crucial time. It's, it's really, for me, it's a lack of empathy and, and really a, a, a testament to the true ignorance that, 
um, a lot of people face that are, it's, you see it predominantly done in Southern states um, where we, you know, if we're having an honest, transparent conversation, you know, the, the access to resources and discrimination and race-based, you know, threats and, and hatred towards Black people is, is affluent. So, okay, well, that's pretty interesting. So I'm gonna ask you really quickly, Nia, if you can just unplug your mic and plug it back in, because I'm still picking up a little static. So while, while you're doing that, I just wanna to, to, to chime in here on, so everything is about a perspective and a perception. So this is one of the key things we need to realize by highlighting certain things in the media. So if somebody sees a, a crazy act, there is a, a group of people that are actually gonna go out and try to reenact the same act. And so what's as, as a mockery. So what the main thing is, is we need to be able to change the perception. Cause as you guys know, we're not only about, we're not about problems, but we're about, about solutions. And so being able to change the scenery, to change the conversation, to change the perception, that's what I really wanna deep dive in today. So Lester, what's your take on, on people really reenacting this? And what's your take on what that is doing to the black community? First of all, we mock what we have seen through history. There were times when you saw people stand around and watching hangings, you know, or getting their heads chopped off with a guillotine. And they feel that that's a proper thing in order to do, to watch it. Now it becomes funny when it's not you perception of people when you see something go wrong and you want to reenact what you've seen but you're not taking in the pain from which the person was going through if they did not show that on television an incident you know replicated over and over again across the news where it's on you know 24 7 people you know they kind of getting away from it. they don't feel the pain that we have had for so many years of watching our time being displayed if you go back to the old South, especially during the old South after the Civil War and after they started hunting uh, men who were in slavery with the hanging and this thing they called strange fruit. And we may have not understood why they're watching, but it became something that got into their system, got into the system of people who love to watch bad things happen. And because of how we have been, how the saying goes, we have been inundated with so much bad information. It says it kind of rolls off your back. You you, you don't get that feeling anymore. And once we yeah. lost that feeling of it, that pain of it, it's like so you just doing this, or oh, we're not doing this for real. But we just want to show you how it looks to us. Ha ha ha. You know what? And on that note, let's take a look at this video. There is a video out there. There's a lot of different videos that's gone viral, but this one is particularly interesting where speaking of that pain that we're feeling, it's been, it's being expressed to from a black man to a police officer. So let's take a look and see what the, the other side of the story can be. So let's cue up the video and take a look. Excuse the profanity.
now. So that was, again, excuse the profanity. <laughs> uh, uh, and just, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's the expression. So that video has gone viral. That video um, literally shares the other side of things where people, where the gentleman is expressing from his heart. And if you realize after looking at that video, expressing from his heart, just it felt like he was pouring out from his heart saying, don't you have kids? If you take my life now, my children doesn't have a father, you know? And the interesting part was, um, there was a few interesting parts of this video. So Lester, I'm gonna start with you. What was your perception after watching this video? Sadly, I've been on both sides of the coin. And I know what that feels like. One, being a black man, we tend to have ways of saying things with more passion. And that's what the other racism don't actually understand because we may say it with passion, or we may say it with passion and profanity. So some people don't actually get what that actually means to us. As a policeman, <laughs> I feel like somebody's facing me here. I hear the sounds of the right. Speaking <laughs> of police. <laughs> no, that was fire that time. But what you want to be able to understand is that when a policeman walks up to a car, he has no idea what you have in that car. So, you know, walking up to that car, you know, you have to protect yourself because you are a father. You're still a man. You're still, you know, a policeman of any sort. You don't know what happens. And most people that you catch are on warrants drive cars. You don't know what, what the policeman is looking at. Now, being a black guy on the other side of it, now you have the other problem. You're sitting up there and you see guns coming at you and you're the average citizen. You don't know, especially having heard so many times of us being in the area of, of being shot or being hurt or being mauled or beaten. We know that that's a different type of feeling because they never have to have a conversation with their children or their family. Just because you happen to be driving black doesn't mean that you're a criminal. That's right. Well, I love that. Uh, you know, it's interesting because Leslie, you take two perspectives and um, obviously being a retired police officer, you know, you're, you're going to share the other end of the stick. But a lot, of, I'm going to tell you a lot of us, a lot of conversation I have, there's really low empathy for the police officers um, walking to the to the car with the gun already out, show, uh, you know, aiming at the person in the car. So let's move to Nia. Nia, welcome back. I, I definitely, um, you can unmute yourself. And Nia, I want you to share from a mental health perspective. Obviously, we can all take a look at that video and realize that the gentleman is passionate and he's concerned about his life and he's concerned at why the cop would have the audacity to even walk to the car with the gun out, ready to shoot at any moment for what? for a turn signal. Well, can you share, Nia, a little bit about the mental health aspect? What made that cop be going through and what made that gentleman, the black man in the car be going through? Great question. Sorry, I'm trying to make sure I have a limited um, disruption on my end. But um, so yeah, a lot of things are going on psychologically, right? Both on the side of the police officer you know, fearing for his safety, you know, with the environment being very dark and then the passenger being an African-American, if we're just even taking a step back and looking at that um, neurolinguistically, like what is that triggering for him? 
you know, like what kind of um, experiences is, are, is he having, you know? Um, and then on the other hand, the African-American same situation, it's dark, it's a, a Caucasian white man coming to him with a gun. We all know how these incidents end up happening. Um, and so a lot of triggering emotionally and mentally going on, right? The man, the gentleman in the car expressed his concern, right? And his fear-based thinking around not feeling safe for the policeman. So that's even check in with that. You know, police are supposed to protect and serve, but we also know in our African-American community that that is not our mindset when it comes to law office officers right we feel very afraid especially when you know a, a white officer is the one that's pulling the gun out on us so even checking in with that you know your fight or flight senses his fight his flight senses were clearly triggered in that situation to where he felt that he had to explain to him in desperation behind his voice of how afraid he was right so that's another thing that I want people to look at, especially if you're not of African-American descent, that neurologically and physiologically, we get triggers in our body that trigger we're not safe. Instinctually, those are fight or flight sentences that said if a, if a lion was coming to and chasing you down the hill, your natural instincts is to kick in and run, right? So this gentleman is having to sit in the car, feel completely powerless, to his life being in danger, and then his own by his own natural reaction, have to convey his fear through his voice, right through his words, and still have that overwhelming sense of powerlessness. Which for men, you know, that's traumatizing, right? Specifically right. when you know you're an adult male, right? And so, I want people to really look at that aspect of it because you know they're both being traumatized because the Caucasian police officer is afraid because of, you know, the stereotypical things that get pulled over for black men get pulled over. And all these are systematically, all these are environmental things that I think that as a country, if we're going to start doing the real healing work behind police um, interaction, we have to start looking at the facts, all of the facts. All of the facts, yeah. And you know, I mean, maybe you, maybe not using a headset may work better so that we can really hear all the words that you're saying clearly. So maybe if you just unplug and not use the headset, that may work even even better. Um, and I love what you said because the the point is is that we've come in society. So everybody who's watching, you know, we we all are people. We all matter. We all. You know, I say if we, if we all get cut, we bleed the same type of blood, um, or it would be blood in, in general. Uh, so it's really all about why, why is there this stigma? And really, there's so much conditioning. You know, you guys know me, I'm all about the mind. So if I even, let's bring it back to the conditioning. Because I question, if there was a Caucasian officer and they pulled over a Caucasian driver, do they still have that same fear for their lives as a police officer as they do with a black man? And Lester Bailey, a, a former police officer, is clearly shaking his head. So there is a perception issue because guess what? The gentleman in the car could be, could have a gun, could have drugs, could have all this stuff, regardless of his skin color. Every time I can, if I put on the hat of a police officer and Lester, I'm going to get you to chime in on that. If we're out there walking into a situation, we don't know. It's a fear of the unknown. 
So even in this pandemic, a lot of us, we don't know who has the coronavirus. So we treat everybody, you know, that's why there's six, six, uh, what is it? Six feet of dis social distancing because we don't know who has the coronavirus. So just to give a perspective for the police officers, they don't know what they're walking into. Now here's the challenge, and this is where the conversation gets really interesting, is because even though that they don't know, they're already going to get a label. When they see a black person, they're already saying, that it's almost as if, and I'm gonna ask this question. Lester, what is the difference as a police officer, whether it be yourself, because you wear two hats in this conversation, or whether it be you and a partner, because you've had partners of the same race and of different races, What's the perception when you're walking into a situation, going back to what Nia's saying from the cop perspective, how do you size up whether it's a fearful situation where you need to walk with your gun out or walk in, in calmly? How do you size up that situation? Sadly to say it's only experience. A lot of times when you're meeting people, it's for the very first time. And depending on the area in which you're in, because the, the, the hard answer is if you know that you're in a high crime area, you, you know that you need to be prepared. Now, here's the trick. You don't have to point at the person. You can actually get out the car with your weapon to your side because of safety. There's nothing like not being prepared. If you're not prepared, your family misses you. So you, right. can, you can go, you can put it behind you, you can put it to your side. You don't necessarily, and I would, you know, state, you don't do that unless you know the situation where you're going to point a gun right. because anything could actually happen. So you don't want to turn around and hurt anybody just because you're nervous. And when you're dealing with other people from other ethnicities, they're more nervous because they hear this thing about black people are always shooting at someone. They're always involved in it. And they hear this information on a regular basis. So you tend to fear like men because always always you can see a woman walking down the street and if it's a black woman walking down and she sees uh young men walking down there she may be a little nervous young black men because she's nervous because she's heard this is what they do right but if it's same age same three white males because they're not giving that bad information you know and they say well these are good kids well what's the difference between your good kid and my good kid other than skin color Right. And we see that all the time. Go ahead. Right. And so, Nia, moving into that, so how can we, from a mental health perspective, oh, I think she didn't like the question. She felt it was, it was a power question coming. So from a mental health perspective, I was really curious to say, uh, so then this is the reality that we're living in again. So now if we move to the solution, there are there is a perception out there that when people are walking down the street that when you look at somebody we judge as much as you we, we say oh no i don't judge that's a lie this is all about truth this show right so it's a lie you do judge we all judge because we're human beings and that's what we're made up of our lives and everything is a is a creation of our past experiences and decisions etc so if we turn on the news and see black men shooting at cops or black men in drugs and black men in this and black men in that, we're naturally going to fear black men. As a matter of fact, there's some people in our own community and we're going to shift gears here, but I want to make a point here because this is, this is a really powering, empowering perspective for those in and outside of the black community. So what that, what that perception 
the optics of of the news and what we talk about and all this sort of stuff has been oppressed upon us so much so that even people in our own community, even black people will have the same tendency when they see a group of black men, you know, maybe they're walking down an alley, they're gonna get scared or walking at night, they're gonna get scared or just with a man walking with a the hood, they're gonna get scared. So, so the stigma out there is driving this fear, which causes us to do things that are not warranted. So part of the solution could be what? That's what I would ask and encourage each one of you. We gotta be able to change the perception, change the perception of black men, of people that are innocent, people just change the perception so that people don't fear things that are not worthy of being fearful of. And that's one of the key things that I, I would say. So if you're watching right now, thank you. Thank you for everybody who's here. Um, Lester, if there's any comments, please, um, we can check it as well. Um, I just want to, okay, good. I just want to say thank you for all those who are watching. So now let's shift gears. We really want to talk about breaking the cycle. So, so there is a cycle and there is a, a, a particular level of, of um, like PTSD, you know, that to the point now there's, if we flip sides, there's people walking down the street and, and, and let me tell you guys something, there is a huge difference between the conversation that let's say a white person or maybe even an Asian or maybe even an Indian um, may say to their son when they leave the house at 6 p.m. to get in their car and drive to a friend's house versus a black man. There is a big difference in the conversation. Let's just use, you know, the, the topic is white and black. So let's just unpack this real quick. Now, and then thank you, Nia, for we're going to deep dive into breaking the cycle and give us some solutions on what we can do. So I just want to give you every, every viewer a perspective. This show is called The Power of Perspective. You take a perspective, you share your perspective. Here's my perspective, and I want Nia to kind of chime in on this afterwards as well. When I, I, I have a brother, and I witness my father talking to my brother and having this talk before he leaves the house. And let me share with you guys what the conversation is. It's my brother's name is Terrell. So it's like, Terrell, make sure you drive the speed limit. Make sure you don't wear a hoodie. Put your hood down. Let it, make sure that you can see your face all the time. Make sure if your friends or anybody, make sure that they don't have anything that's illegal or anything like that, that they get in the car. Make sure you drive with two hands on the wheel. Make sure that your window is down. If because some, you know, when you're younger, you like to have tinted windows. Make sure your window is down, or 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 you're not even allowed to have tinted windows because that's another sign. Make sure you, you know, there's all these rules that my dad says repeatedly every single time my brother left the house. I've also been in situations and have friends and, and that are outside of my race. You know, I have white friends and black friends and, and Asian friends, I have all kinds of friends. And I've been in situations hearing the conversation where their son would leave the house and all it is is, okay, Johnny, have fun, a big hug and a kiss, I love you and bye-bye. It's a perspective. So Nia, welcome back. You can unmute your mic and why don't you share a little bit about that perspective and tell us some things that we can do because it is a reality 
and it's going to take some work to change that. What are some of the things that we can do for people in the community, innocent bystanders, me watching my brother having to go through that conversation? I've been involved with rescuing friends and family of, of that are black in a community with police because they were wrongfully accused. So the innocent bystanders, the wives, the children, the, 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 the teachers, what is it that we can do to help? We're gonna, yeah, we're gonna make it work, girl. <laughs> yeah, that put the mic on. One of the key things I always say is technology is amazing when it works. And the other thing is, is that it works when it wants to. Sometimes it works and sometimes it just cuts out. <laughs> so we'll give it one more go to see if it's going. How about that, Nia? Is it working out? Yes. Can you hear me now? No? Okay, perfect. Sorry. Okay. So, oh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the best thing that we can do um, is continue to do preventative measures. Um, but the uh -oh. thing about this is that it's it's rooted in racial bias, right? So it's kind of like what comes first, the chicken or the egg, right? Um, do we confront the racial bias first before we then talk to people about, you know, preventative measures to ensure that they're not instilling this fear-based thinking to their children? Or do we continue on the cycle of instilling fear-based thinking to children in order to protect them and keep them safe? Because that's the honest. Like I'm a mother of a, a young black child, and um, he's four. He's scared of the police. I don't know. Yeah, I know you're saying such valuable things. I hear it in and out. I think that I hear you. Purpose. I'm hearing you in and out, my dear. Yeah, we we're losing you. You we're losing you. Your voice is going in and out. All right, so why don't we, um, maybe Nia, there's another uh, microphone or another headset or something that you can try out. We're, lo we're losing you, we're catching every other word. I, do, I did hear that you do have a four-year-old son. And so as a mother, I'm sure there's a huge concern. And Lester, I know you talked about your grandson and that's one of the reasons why you're in this uh, conversation so, so strongly because you're concerned for your grandson. Why don't you share a little bit about um, what it is that you believe that we can potentially do to to mitigate some of the impacts so the new generations coming up can actually have a prosperous life. Sadly to say, we've already began because we're having the conversation with our children and it's actually being played out on television. The number one thing that you can do is to have that conversation to open up the discussion with our children. Now, as for the other races, because that conversation isn't there about them being in and out of a car, but you can let them know how people feel, which is the opposite side, because they may not understand directly because it's happening, but you can have the conversation so that way that they don't look at it as it's the wrong thing. It's the perception in which we've been given. I have a five-year-old grandson. I know I have to talk with him and say, okay, Keep your hands on your wheel. Lower your window. Make sure that you don't talk badly. Lower your voice. 
I know those conversations don't go on the, on the other side of the coin because they've never had to look at it like that. And until you have to look at a situation, you don't believe that it is true until it actually happens to you. Is it fair for us to have to have that conversation? No. Is it important for us to have that conversation daily? We don't want to turn around and get to a point. And that, that is all minority races. It doesn't matter what it is because each race has to deal with it in a different way. Minority people deal with it because people look at us with a, or with a fear that's never actually warranted because most of the crime that's ever happened has been in our own neighborhoods. But again, that's because of television has shown us to have a certain level of fear against black people. Until we start changing that conversation, we're in trouble. It's very true. I'm gonna put up on the screen here, this image, and I want um, everybody to take in. Now today we're talking about mental health. We have a mental health expert on the line and she will share perspectives and she's gonna be here every Tuesday, folks. So not to worry, um, you will definitely be able to hear the golden gems that she's putting out there. Now, this picture that's up on the screen is quite interesting. You know, it's a natural question that we often ask children. What do you want to be when you grow up? Now, the response is not only jarring, it's not only uh, heartbreaking, but it's also factual. This little boy says, alive. So, Let's just unpack this a little bit, because one of the key things is if you are just concerned with simply being alive, you are on the very basic needs of life. How can you aspire to be a doctor, to be a lawyer, to be an entrepreneur, to be an artist, to be a musician, to be, to be anything worthy? How can you live your purpose if your day is consumed and your mind is consumed with simply staying alive? And this is the reality for many young folks in the community. This is not okay. This is what will repeat the cycle. This is what, now Lester, tell me, because you've been through, you've met some many great people in your lives. You have had the privilege of, of meeting Melson Mandela. You had the privilege of talking to one of the wisest women out there, Maya Angelou. You had the privilege of being a private bodyguard for two US presidents and other senators. Lester, please share the effects of the society that has happened, let's even say 20, 30, 40 years ago and what's currently going on because and I want you to speak to the part of the cycle repeating. Because I have lived a few, you know, few birthdays more than a lot of people who may be listening, is that if you look back at the days of Dr. King walking with civil rights, the same discussion that they had 40, 50 years ago, they are still having those same discussions today. Economic discussions, discussions about what goes on in our neighborhoods, 
all of these discussions have not changed. When that little kid in that photo said alive, is he talking about against the police or is he talking about just in general in his own neighborhood? And that's a question because what are we looking for and why are we looking at the same problem we had before? Spoke on a show just yesterday about voting. We fought for the right to vote, but yet we don't go to the poll to vote. We're upset about the policies that all of these places have, but yet we don't vote. We don't look at our neighborhoods. What is our value in our own neighborhood? You have the choice to fix up the building that's next door to you and looks abandoned. You have the choice to fix it up, but you choose not to because you will say that's someone else's problem. And that's what our, what our problem as black people are, is, is that we always say it's someone else's problem. The truth of it is, is that there used to be a time when neighborhoods took care of the neighborhood. A coat of paint, you know, a washing of a building, cutting of your neighbor's grass. That was easy enough today. I mean, I grew up in a in the projects in which they would talk about, and that's low-income housing. And now someone would say I would be sedity doing the same job because I have a new level of understanding. We have so, to so Lester, give us a perspective on the, the repeat of the cycle. Because one of my major concerns is that this is a little boy, and this little boy is going is growing up with this perspective. And is this the same perspective that Martin Luther King had? Is exactly. this the same right? And so share a little bit about, about your about that topic for us. When we when we grew up, you only learn by your history what you see that people are doing repeatedly. And the repeated thing, you, you watch black people go to jail during Martin Luther King's time. And all he wanted was racial equality. That was it. That was all. Just racial equality. He was fought by racism during that time about the areas we could not be able to move into. There was this laws out here called Jim Crow. And there was a governor called, you know, Governor Wallace. And he didn't want blacks to move around. He locked them up just because they were breathing. He saw policemen beat on them. Excuse me. He ordered police officers to beat on black people if they weren't in the correct area. Same thing that we see today. You're not ordered, but because you saw it, you grew up with it. You figured that that's the way for black people to understand. The repeated cycle is what they see on a regular basis. And back then, here's the funny part about it. They didn't have social media. Now you can turn around and film something and repeat it a thousand times where you have a million views. Because you want to show somebody this is the way someone is doing it, but you don't have the conversation and telling them how not to be involved. That's so true. You know what? So let's take an actual key look at because at the end of the day, we always talk about aspiring to be to be more in order. We talk about the, the self responsibility in the conversation. So I'm just going to show, uh, uh, I'm going to put this picture up on screen, and this is literally the, the hierarchy of needs. It's the Maslow hierarchy of needs. So if you look at the very bottom of the barrel, can we breathe? Do we have food? Do we have water? Sex, sleep. So these are psychological needs that the average person has. The next need is around safety. Do we feel safe? in our environments, in our community. This is even before we go to love and belonging. And of course, the main thing is to be self-actualized, to, to be able to be the best version of yourself. 
So here's a perspective for those who are watching today. If, and we talked about it because this is what we were, we were, what we have witnessed in the picture before. When there is a community that is still focused in on the two, still don't even have fully the two basic needs of life, how progressive up this chain of needs can we be if generation after generation after generation, we are still focused in on a safety and some psychological needs? That is the question. Safety to the point where we can't even feel safe with a, a in parameter in the system that is meant to protect us, to serve and protect. If we are scared from our protection, psychologically, what do you think that is doing to the minds of people in that community? We can't even get to love and belong and have unity and build and thrive like some other cultures. We can't even get to the point where we see ourselves as the value that we are and have confidence we can't even get to the point where we're fully expressed in our natural tendencies if we're just concerned about our safety. So my main point for bringing that up, ladies and gentlemen, is because this is what we need to stop and really realize, that we need to be able to find ways to, to overcome these basic needs so that we can progress up the chain. So if we are talking about solutions, let's talk about how we can actually build on these psychological needs. And, and the last note I want to mention before we wrap up, and if there's any comments, I think people are just taking it in. Um, thank you, everybody who chimed in. We see you. We love you. We appreciate you. So the last thing that we will say, that I will say from before we end, wrap up the show, is that let's find a way to heal. Change the paradigm and change the perspective of society so that we can now feel safe as we integrate. Somebody once said, how come they're not shooting Jewish people? Or how come they're not shooting Indian people? Because there is a huge culture, and this is a perspective. I'm not saying it's my own, but this is a perspective that I wanted to share with everybody. Because if somebody in the Jewish community uh, was taken out wrongfully, there's a huge backing to support them to, to fight. There may be people in positions in that community that has the ability to do something. Do we? Today's show is really meant to make you think differently about this, the effects that it has on our mental being and what we are doing, portraying that to other people. So Lester, please share your final thoughts on the mental health state in our communities so that we can actually start to shift to doing something about it. My, my views are simple. Start trusting the people that you're around. Start having conversations. Get to know who the people who are actually around you. You know the bad seeds, you know the great seeds. Depending on how you water them is up to you. Because if you 
constantly mistrust your own, how will you learn to trust another race? And that's the big problem. You have to learn about being that trust. If you want to see where safety is, see there's safety in numbers, but who are the numbers that are with you? Have a conversation with people. Open the dialogue because that's what it's all about. Your communication between everybody can change anything. But if you're only talking to yourself and doing actually nothing about the problem, you'll find out that the problem will repeat itself until you start working on the solution. And that's my mind purpose. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. And so my final thoughts for today is really in order to just even playing off of what Lester said, in order to have the trust, of course, it starts with self. And so as we start to work on our own selves and build their, ourselves up, then we can start to trust and lean on the people around us. Now, the main thing is that for some, it's not the easiest. It may not be the easiest thing to do. And if and, and oftentimes in life, we need assistance. We need help. You know, every coach has a coach. Every mentor has a mentor and, uh, you know, every chef have a chef. So let us let us be let us group together and find ways to to be able to to help and support each other through that. Nia and I have tag team along with Lester and some of our other team members to be able to provide a space where people can start this healing conversation in the community. So we're starting it off with Mondays. We have a mind transformation session. And from there, for those who show up, we'll be able to provide different solutions because it may be different for all. So stay connected with us if you're interested in helping rebuild the communities. And this is for everybody. This is in and outside of the black community. Of course, today we went in on the black community because of the state of affairs. However, this is for all of us because we need to be able to heal in general. So reach out speak up, do something about it so that we can make a change individually and collectively. Thank you guys so much for watching the Wake Up and Live show. I appreciate you guys being on here today. I appreciate all your comments, all your likes, all your loves. Uh, definitely follow the show on online on uh, the Wake Up and Live show. On Facebook, we will be here the same time, same place tomorrow, bringing you some a different perspective on the current state of affairs in our economy. Is Chantal Simone signing out? And Mr. Lester Bailey? Thank you, everyone, for coming along with us. Make sure you leave your comments. Absolutely. Have a wonderful, blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow.